You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Jim Dish at the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. Happy to be with you for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Today, we begin with our Catholic Charities program and a very special guest, Sally Blount. On the first of this month, Sally Blount assumed the role of President and CEO of Catholic Charities. She visited with Marie Jochum and Bridget Murphy on our Voice of Charity program. We're really blessed to have our new CEO here with us this morning. So welcome, Sally. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Marie. Thanks. Thanks, Bridget. You bet. Sally comes to Catholic Charities from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, where she remains a professor and was the dean from 2010 to 2018. She's also the former dean of New York University's Stern School of Business. And Cardinal Supic said this about her appointment, which um, gives us all a lot of hope. He said, with her organizational and leadership expertise, profound faith, and strong commitment to social justice, she is the ideal person to lead Catholic charities at this exciting and challenging time. There isn't a better endorsement, (laughs) um, I think, and also it has rang true for, for certain the last few months as we've gotten to know Sally. So welcome again. Thanks. Though it's a little humbling, you guys. Because, um, it, sets, you know, it sort of sets the bar kind of high. It's like I need to be a miracle worker. That's right. We no, have, we no, have no. very high expectations. <laughs> um, Sally, let's start with, you know, the most obvious question. What attracted you to leading Catholic charities, um, particularly coming from your experience in academia? Uh It's a complex question, yet I want to try to make it simple and succinct, because as as you all know, any life journey has a lot of interesting meanderings and Mm -hmm. conversations. I was really lucky as a woman to be able to have a career as a professor um, at some of the greatest institutions in the world. I got my doctorate um, at Northwestern at the Kellogg School, which is one of the reasons why it was so sweet to come back and be the dean there as well. I had the privilege as a sort of true Chicago girl of then being on the faculty at the University of Chicago for nine years. So I've sort of been on both sides of that sort of academic jousting um, since those (laughs) two schools are always a bit in competition. And what was neat about being at the University of Chicago is my parents actually met there as graduate students. So that was a lot of fun to be on faculty there. And then as my parents got older and they were out east, I was I was at NYU. And so, you know, I often felt like I had the most amazing career as a professor it was a great thing to be doing when I was having babies and raising my kids. And then much to my surprise, in my mid-40s, I got called. I, had, I discovered I had a set of leadership skills I didn't didn't really know that sort of started emerging, that, that New York University identified in me when they made me the dean of their undergraduate college of business, and then later Kellogg when they asked me to come back and be dean. And so what was clear to me, though, as I began to feel called to move away from the deanship at Kellogg, and that came out of um, silent retreats that I took every year, and, and that was a process of discernment over time. And, but as it became really clear to me that it was time to step away from being a dean, one of the things I had to figure out is, is where did God want me to go next? And 
so I took a sabbatical, which I'd never had. And I, the first thing I needed to do on the sabbatical is I'd committed to myself was I was going to go do the 30-day Ignatian exercises with the Jesuits. They call that the spiritual exercises. You know, this idea that, that spiritually we need to build muscle as much as we do physically and emotionally. So I did the 30-day retreat in the fall of my sabbatical year, and that was an incredibly powerful, powerful experience to live in silence for 30 days as a communicator is always an interesting thing. <laughs> I think I would find that, that challenging. <laughs> yeah. To spend that much time in a small community of, of, you know, devoted to this kind of discernment. I mean, that is the Jesuits' charism. And that was a powerful thing. I had a wonderful retreat director himself who'd been a provincial for the Jesuits, and he'd also been the president of one of their colleges. So he understood the life that I was coming from. And he was really one of the people saying, you know, don't be certain that God wants you to go back to academics, or if he does as a teacher, because, you know, I have a lot of skills at teaching that had lain fallow while I was dean, because there just wasn't as much time for that. He goes, Sally, he may be asking you to touch people's hearts more deeply rather than you know, when you're an organization leader, it's kind of you touch a lot of people at a small amount, but when you teach, you you touch people more deeply, individually, and and so that was the discernment piece to me: is was God really calling me to just go back and teach and shape students one at a time, or was He going to call me to another organizational role? And um, I have to tell you, when I started my discernment process, I never would have predicted that it was going to land at Catholic Charity. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, man, oh, man, I'm as surprised as the next person. If you'd even told me a year ago that that's what I would be doing, I was checking my, my journal from a year ago. But I think what happened is I things kept coming at me, and I kept going, no, that's not it, no, that's not it. And, I, you know, I was really lucky. A lot of really interesting calls came in the not-for-profit environment and academics and even some for-profit educational organizations. And I just kept taking them to the Lord in prayer. And I continued to be in spiritual direction because, you know, these kinds of things take a lot of discernment. And it, and then in February, the search committee for Catholic Charities called. And I went into prayer thinking, yeah, it's not supposed to be this. And yet what prayer discerned was, oh, my golly, you've got to be kidding. This is it. And, <laughs> and one of the ways you know is both is your own heart, but the heart of the committee, right? Because sometimes we have a heart for something, but the people who are in charge of hiring you don't have a heart for you, which means it isn't your call. And I think what became clear is all our hearts opened. And then the Cardinal's kind of a persuasive guy. Right. And you you have a, you can't really, you know, he calls you. It's hard to say no to that guy, right? <laughs> oh, my golly, the Cardinal, you know, Archbishop of Chicago. You know, even as a child, imagine you get to talk to the Cardinal. You know, you go back to that little girl self inside yourself, and you go, whoa, the Cardinal's asking me to serve. I know that you've put in a lot of time in the months before you officially started talking with staff and board members, learning different parts of the organization. And of course, that's going to be an ongoing process. But as you're into day two of week two in your new (laughs) role, what struck you in these early days? You know, I think the thing that strikes you first and foremost about the Catholic Charities of Chicago is the depth and breadth of what this organization brings to our region. I think so few, I don't even know that all Catholics, much more people beyond the Catholic faith, understand that the Catholic Charities of Chicago is the largest uh, private social service provider in the region, that we serve anyone in need who comes to us. We don't pay attention, you know, while we are motivated by Catholic social teaching and Catholic values, we are here to serve God's people. So it doesn't matter your faith, your race, your ethnicity, 
even your gender identity. You know, Jesus would have given food to anyone, and as I'm sure he did when he was doing the fishes and loaves. And that's what's amazing, is we provide charity to the vulnerable, the suffering, the overlooked. Um, Every day we are witnessing a message of hope and mercy to a world that's ever more in need, I would argue. And I think when you realize how many government leaders rely on us for partnership because they trust us because of our values, you know, I'd argue that we're one of the most, if not the most trusted you know, values-based mission partner for civic leaders of all faiths. And and that's a mighty, mighty role to play in our community. It's so true. And, and especially now, I mean, you do hear a lot of now more than ever language, right, um, around a lot of organizations, but it, it really does feel true about Catholic charities in this moment and, and after 100 years. Um, one of the things you've um, talked with us about in your early days is is our mission of mercy. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned specifically, and I'm not familiar with it, I'm uh, ashamed to say, uh, St. Pope John Paul II's Dives in Misericordia is the name of it. Can you tell us what you find so powerful about that um, piece and about mercy as uh, as the core of what we do? So this is one of Pope John Paul's um, most remembered encyclicals, and it really was on the practice of mercy. And and when I took this job, a, a good friend, or who, someone who's becoming a very good friend, Father Wayne Watts, had I said, how can I learn more about mercy? Because we were talking about the seven acts of mercy, you know, feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, um, that, that are core to the Catholic faith and come right out of our biblical teachings. And he said, you want to learn more about mercy, first place you got to go is to this encyclical by Pope. Um, John Paul II. And he talks about the mutual practice of mercy, because the whole point isn't just when we who are privileged enough to have time and resources to give to those in need, it, it on a spiritual level, Jesus and God are all about transformation, both of those who receive, because we give them hope, and we help them know they're not alone, but also the transformation of hearts of those of us who give, because it means we hold less tightly onto what we have, and we're less likely to say it's mine. Because, you know, the reality is nothing is mine, nothing is yours. We are all stewards of the riches of this planet. And I think the whole act of giving, the whole act of mercy is to remind us that we are simply part of the flow of God's mercy to all, and we all need to give and receive. And just because we may have material wealth does not mean we have spiritual wealth. And in fact, sometimes, as you all know, you've been in the serving lines at Catholic Charities, you've been in the food pantries, you've been in the clothes, you know, in the clothes closets. Um, and you sometimes know, sometimes the faith of those who, who live closest to the line is deeper, because they trust in God every single day the way the apostles did. And it's important to remember that, is that material wealth does not equate with spiritual wealth. And I think, too, you know, Sally, listening to you talk on mercy the last few weeks, and um, when I was in college, I read this encyclical, and it really did change sort of the trajectory of what I wanted to do with my life, because for me, it was kind of this moment of like, whoa, whoa, mercy isn't what I think it is. This is a transformative interaction. It's about relationships. And we talk a lot on this show with um, with frontline workers who who are there at the, on those lines, right? Who are who are giving and receiving mercy every day. And you know, it 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 makes me think of another 
hero of our church, uh, St. Mother Teresa, who you've also shared with us a little bit. That is your role model for leadership. And I'm certain that our listeners would love to sort of hear you unpack that a little bit. Well, I think what's important, so first of all, let me do a slight digression, though I don't want to go too far because I know we're on limited time. But whenever you're a female leader, you're looking for role models because you need to learn how to present yourself and how to, what does an effective leader look like out in the world? And one of the advantages that men have had is they've had people to look up to for centuries about what does effective leadership and countenance and gravitas look like. And as women, we have fewer options. And that's something that I talk a lot about with the students. It's something I've wrestled a lot, with a lot. And for me, coming into this role is I needed to have a clear role model in my mind, like almost an image to aspire to, um, to hold myself accountable to of, of you know, not me, but, but the Lord. And, and especially in the Catholic Church, there aren't as many um, role models. And one of the challenges is a lot of the ones we know about are saints. And that's a little daunting, right? But, <laughs> and even Mother, Mother Teresa will become a saint, but, but she's a modern-day saint. And so we can look at how she, even in the modern days, had such unbelievable humility. No matter how famous she became, no matter how many followers she got, she was still out in the slums of Calcutta, serving people and caring for the sick and the hungry every single day. She was the ultimate doer, and, and as we've joked about, and she'd never give a TED Talk. <laughs> I love and that I, line. You know, and, and so I think we have to think about that, is because I think the secular version of a leader, and yet what the, what the Catholic Church teaches us in the history of the saints, small s, you know, not just large s, is, is we have a tradition of leadership that we shouldn't lose track of, even in these very important modern times of transformation. One of the inspiring things about Mother Teresa is, you know, a problem solver for sure, but also believed that we need to accompany people in in their suffering and that really the our call is to do both of those things. We walk with people and then we work to solve and help them solve whatever issues they might be dealing with. And, and social workers are really at the, at the core of that and that expertise informs our work every day. So I think um, we're glad she's a role model for you and she's most definitely a role model for so many of us. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that you never, you know, when you started discernment, you never thought you'd land at Catholic Charities. I'm sure you never thought you'd start amidst a pandemic um, and amidst some real social reckoning. Um, how do you see us navigating through this? You know, one of the wonderful things about coming from a place of faith, of not being a secular institution, but being a faith-based institution, um, we know that God's in charge and God has always been in charge. And so we have nothing to fear, except all we have to fear is losing our alignment with God. If we stay in the service of God, um, He will direct us how to be His hands out in the world. And and we are to operate on God's time, not human time. And and that gives that's where we can take our confidence from. That's where we can put our anxieties when when we see the suffering. And and I mean, all of us at Catholic Charities are worried about what's going to happen with evictions and with families in need for homes, um, it, you know, starting starting in the next few weeks as the um, government monies begin to run out. I mean, we just know that there's a massive, with the unemployment, the, the unprecedented historical spikes in unemployment, um, with, the, um, with the issue of the sickness 
among the most vulnerable populations that are least economically advantaged, and that's not going away yet. A solution isn't coming readily. And so this is going to be a time of greater need than we've ever seen probably in a century since the last pandemic. And yet what empowers us is that we're here to help. We are God's hands out in the world. It is going to be more important than ever that we are completely ready to say, God, how can we serve? Jesus, how can we serve? And that's what's exciting, is we have the partnerships, we have the breadth of services. We already operate in 221 sites. We have 2,000 employees on the ground. We have 20-some thousand donors and volunteers to help us. We are a trusted and valued partner of some of the most important government leaders of our region. I mean, we are ready to serve in the most... um, You know, I don't know of other organizations that have that set of capabilities, and we come at it with a spiritual muscle that's been born over a century um, since we were founded. And we are ready to lead in talking about the racial inequity issues, right? We are ready to lead to say that God loves every single one of us equally, and he asks us to cherish each other without, you know, even Jesus. Sometimes people sort of bristle when Jesus said, you know, there's some point where he he says, no, I'm not going to talk to my mom or my family right now. I'm busy being here with you. That my fellowship with you is far more important to the, than the people to whom I'm directly related. And he wasn't saying that the family doesn't matter, but what he was saying is that we all matter and that there are times when we are called to serve outside of our family boundaries as deeply and humanely and as, with as much heart as we do within our family boundaries. And this will be an exciting time to grow in faith in that kind of service to God. Right. I think everyone can see how how lucky we are to have you leading us at this time. I think, too, um, just an aside, uh, I've been on enough Zoom calls with Sally. Poor Sally is starting her tenure um, having to meet everyone via Zoom to know that um, those of you listening, she is gesturing with her arms and uh, (laughs) she is a real educator that way. She has such enthusiasm for um, our work and everything she's learning and bringing to the table. So I I can can see you moving even though I can't see you. but I think we wanted to ask, go back a little bit to that to that faith journey. We, you went on retreat, and um, you know, of, of of course, getting to know you just a little bit, you would go right into like a month long retreat. You know, you went right to the the big guns. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about a little more about your your faith journey? Because I I don't believe you were raised Catholic. No, I was not raised Catholic. So in fact. You don't get to do the big guns unless you've done several shorter retreats. The Jesuits require that, Bridget. Uh, But the way I came to Catholicism is I went on my very first silent retreat. It was a long weekend with a Jesuit house out in New Jersey when I was working at NYU. And I got to know through that retreat the fathers. I got to go to their home church a few times at their invitation and and share meals with that community. And that... That experience and the spiritual director I had out there and beginning to do retreats as a spiritual practice led eventually to this sense that I was being called to the Catholic Church. And I, and I can tell you, I had a very um, deep and meaningful moment when I was in prayer at a Jesuit retreat house in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And it was late one night as I was starting the Kellogg deanship job, and I was feeling kind of stressed. Um, I, I was Because I had to move away from my parents who were older and and in the East Coast. My youngest child was going off um, to college, and I had just gone through a divorce. And I felt a little shaky, and yet I felt clear that God was calling me to do this. And 
in prayer, I had this distinct sense of Mary coming and sitting and talking to me and saying, I know what it's like to be a woman alone in life. Our prayers and good wishes are with Sally Blount as she begins her role as president and CEO of Catholic Charities. To find out more about how you can help support the many ministries of this organization, go to catholiccharities.net. Stick around. In a moment, we'll hear from two men who were priests in the Archdiocese of Chicago, but were recently appointed bishops in other Illinois faith communities. Back in a moment. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. More and more people around the world are interested in their family history. At Catholic Charities, we are hearing from adults who lived for a brief time at St. Vincent's Orphanage, the wonderful life-affirming agency that operated out of our headquarters for 91 years, serving thousands of women, children, and families until it closed in 1972. Our post-adoption services help adults who want to learn more about their experience at St. Vincent's. Our compassionate staff members provide whatever family background information they can offer, along with support and reunion services. To learn more, call 312-655-7093. That's 312-655-7093. The spirit of St. Vincent's lives on in the inspiring stories that continue to emerge today. Do you have a gently used laptop or desktop computer that is gathering dust in your home? Consider donating to our Catholic Charities Veterans Computer Project. We will clean out your device, give it new software, and repurpose it for a veteran who is looking for employment. Your gift will make an incredible difference in a veteran's ability to find a job. Catholic Charities provides veteran services throughout Lake and suburban Cook Counties, giving participants an array of professional and personal support. Our veterans have served our country, and it is our privilege to serve them. To learn more about Catholic Charities Veterans Services and the Veterans Computer Project, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. This past Thursday, two newly appointed bishops were guests on our Catholic Chicago program. First up was the new Bishop of Peoria, coadjutor Bishop Louis Tilka, who talked with Father Greg Sakowitz, Rector of Holy Name Cathedral. Bishop Tilka, good morning and welcome. Morning, Father Greg. It's good to hear you. How are you doing? Boy, I'm, I'm so used to saying, Lou, it's hard to believe that I met you 
as a brand new seminarian right. at Niles College Seminary. You entered in 80 what? Uh, I entered uh, the seminary in 89. In 89, I, I was the vocation director at Niles College Seminary of Loyola University. And you were coming from what high school? Well, I actually was coming from Purdue University. So I graduated from Marian Catholic High School, did my first year of college studies at Purdue University, and then uh, discerning a vocation, uh, needed to come to the seminary to help have that uh, assistance in looking at that calling in my life. So that's when I transferred in as a sophomore. So from Marian Catholic, one year at Purdue, and transferred in college seminary. So remember when you contacted me, we, we met, we did the paperwork, then you entered as a sophomore in the college seminary, and you graduated in three years after that. Correct. And on to Mundelein Seminary. I'm going to work sure. a little bit backwards here. And first of all, uh-huh. you know, you, Bishop Lutilka, are one of the great priests ordained <laughs> in Chicago and now in Peoria. And um, But maybe explain to our listeners, what does it mean to be the new coadjutor bishop of Peoria? So Bishop Dan Jenke is our, our, our bishop here in Peoria. Uh, he's been bishop here for uh, 18 years. He was appointed in 2002. Uh, his health has been declining over the last couple years, and so he requested a coadjutor bishop to assist him in the pastoral care of the diocese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, granted that request of him uh, by appointing me as a coadjutor bishop. Uh, what what that really means is uh, ultimately that I have the right of succession. So when Bishop Janke ultimately does uh, retire, um, bishops normally submit their uh, letter of uh, resignation retirement when they turn 75, uh, and that'll happen for Bishop Janke in about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what What that means for the Diocese of Peoria is that when the Holy Father accepts uh, his resignation of the office uh, for his retirement, I will automatically become the ninth bishop for the Diocese of Peoria. So right now he so is still leading the diocese, but then you are correct. working closely with him. Correct. I, in, in many ways, uh, it would be like uh, being the auxiliary bishops in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, assisting uh, the, the ordinary. So, you know, the auxiliaries assist Cardinal Supich, the Archbishop of Chicago, um, my current role as a coadjutor bishop is to assist uh, Bishop Janke as the ordinary of the Diocese of Peoria. Uh, but unlike the auxiliaries in Chicago, you know, it, not one of them necessarily would be the next archbishop. Uh, in my case, uh, when, when Bishop Janke does retire, I will automatically take the responsibility of being the ordinary bishop of the diocese. Now, Lou, I have to ask you this question that is, uh, you have been a great priest, outstanding there at Diocese Chicago mm-hmm. uh, since, what, 1996. And you were pastor on the south side, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're doing your work, you're busy, you're just going about your day. How did, and when did the call come to you? And, and was it made by the papal nuncio? Yes, yes. So, uh, I mean, it's a moment I'll certainly never forget. Uh, it was Monday morning, May 4th. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, in the, this time of the COVID pandemic, uh, offices and that are closed down. And I uh, had a, a weekly meeting um, via Zoom with uh, several of the staff members at 9 o'clock. And uh, to be quite honest, 
that Monday morning I was kind of feeling a little lazy, so I was really taking my time getting myself going. Uh, but I had gone over to the parish office uh, to uh, get ready for the, the 9 o'clock uh, conversation on the, the computer. Uh, I walked in, turned on the lights, uh, turned my computer on, set my cell phone on the, the desk, went to the break room, made a cup of coffee, and as I came back in, the phone was ringing. And uh, when I looked at the phone, it was an unknown number coming from Washington, D.C. And hmm. I honestly almost didn't uh, answer the call because uh, I had gotten lots of calls from Washington, D.C. unknown numbers telling me I needed to extend my warranty on my car. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, something said to pick it up, and I picked it up, and it was uh, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, who is the papal nuncio. Sure. And uh, the short of it, he says, I have good news. And the, the good news is I was being named the coadjutor bishop of, of Peoria. Um, I honestly did not say yes right away. Mm-hmm. I asked for a little bit of time to uh, pray. Um, I, I went and celebrated Mass, and of course, <laughs> the readings of that day, uh, the Gospel talked about being a shepherd, and I thought, Lord, you're telling wow. me something here. Amazing. And so, so I, I, about an hour later, I returned the phone call and, and told, it, told him that uh, certainly out of faithfulness and obedience to the Pope, uh, but more so out of the service of church and the Lord, I would say yes. Now, Bishop Tilka, this question. The call comes to you. Mm-hmm. Did you at first in your heart think this was a prank? Like it was one of your classmates <laughs> or one of your buddies putting you, you know, kind of, you know, teasing you? I, well, I, I no, I didn't. Um, I, I, you know, honestly, I, I had had the opportunity uh, when the Bishop Hicks and Casey and Bartosik were made bishops uh, because of my role uh, as chair of the Presbyterian Council at the time in Chicago. I had had the opportunity um, at their lunch uh, before their ordination to sit next to Archbishop Christoph Pierre. So you recognize the uh, voice. So I kind of recognized the voice. Okay. Um, and so I, I did not think it, it was a prank, but it's my understanding from uh, Bishop Janke that when he got the call later that day to say that this was happening, he thought it was a prank. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the other question with it, when the call came, you saw Washington, D.C., unknown, okay, it's a warranty on my car, and it's, well, I'll pick it up anyway. When he told you the news, mm-hmm. was your did your mind, like, freeze or numb up oh yes yeah i was uh i was uh uh literally kind of half in the chair and half out of the chair (laughs) and so i was worried about i was going to (laughs) fall and uh i i was trembling a bit and uh um to be honest uh father greg that the the very first thought that went through my mind is i am not worthy of this um and uh so uh because you know, it was so I, unexpected. Yes, yes. I mean, I don't think any priest uh, ever expects to get a phone call, uh, you know, saying that they're going to be a bishop. And you see, the closest uh, I can, re- can kind of relate to it is when I was at uh, St. Mary's in Evanston from 2010 to 2016. In February of 16, when I got a call from Father Mike Noktek, where Cardinal Blaise Subic wants me as the new rector of the cathedral. Sure. I thought he was joking. Yeah, I said, yeah. well, especially because it was Father Mike Notek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was Mike, Mike, who's a comedian and a funny guy, great guy. And I thought, okay, Mike, you know, you're, he, he said to me, Greg, I wouldn't be calling to joke about this. But like you, mm-hmm. 
my mind was it was frozen. It was like, I'm, and my first gut reaction was to think, no, I'm happy here at St. Mary's in Evanston. Right, right. Don't rock the boat. Right. I had a chance to pray about it, and it's just, uh, they're just amazing because you've always been a very humble priest, hardworking, uh, known by all the priests in love in Chicago. And so I always say in many ways, Chicago's loss has been Peoria's gain. But, of course, you'll Thank be you. very much connected with everybody here in Chicago, even though you're down in Peoria. So now how has it been? For the, now, you are presently in Peoria, so you have moved out of the rectory. Yep. Yep. You're down in Peoria. Now, where are you stationed for living? So I, I'm actually living in a parish. Um, you know, we have uh, lots of uh, uh, parishes in the Diocese of Peoria where um, over the years they have been um, uh, partnered, twinned, connected, uh, merged, you know, uh, uh, as a smaller diocese. Um, you know, a lot of our parishes uh, kind of share resources in that. So I am living in a parish uh, that's not not far from downtown Peoria, uh, which uh, basically had an empty rectory. Um, mm-hmm. A previous vicar general used to live in this parish uh, here. Um, the parish uh, shares the the pastor and the associate pastor. Um, they live at the other parish um, that this one is is twinned with, uh, because the school and uh, the larger community is actually over there. Uh, they come over regularly. Obviously, we have daily mass in this parish and uh, weekend masses, and there's a parish office and uh, activity. But um, since the the priests live in the other parish, uh, I, this I, I've been very blessed with a very comfortable uh, large rectory uh, for for myself to live in, which is good because uh, for me it gives me an opportunity to quite literally leave the office and go home. Uh, so the, you know, there's no quote unquote office in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also you know there's there's a lot of time uh, when. Uh, you know, a bishop needs to meet with uh, various people for, uh, you know, different meetings. Absolutely. Um, that, that, you know, a little more privacy is nice. And so it, it does give me an opportunity to have a space that I can meet with uh, folks uh, if I need to or when I need to uh, in, a, in a more private uh, setting. But now talk about your summer having the um, ups and downs that as great a moment it was to be named mm-hmm. And all the celebration and, and adulation goes with it, but also my deepest sympathy because you lost your sister Mary yes. Lou, yes. who died around the time and very close to when you were uh, celebrating down in Peoria. And she mm-hmm. passed away what July? June thirteenth. June thirteenth. I'm and, sorry. I knew June Mary Lou and Gordon because I had dinner yes. with them several times. Yeah, yeah, they, they've met you many times out in uh, at their home. Exactly, outside of Vegas there, and, mm-hmm. and uh, wonderful people. And so it's just, uh, so which means you've experienced a summer with the absolute surprise of your life being named the co-juder, bishop, and the loss of your sister. Yes. So it just, your feelings within you have to be so mixed and emotional. It's been a very hard summer for you also at the same time, Lou. Yeah, it's you know it's 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 been an emotional roller coaster. You know, mm-hmm. um, my sister was diagnosed with her cancer back in January. Um, we knew it was a uh, terminal diagnosis. So we didn't know how long she would have. Um, I I uh, 
feel very blessed that she was around to obviously hear the news and uh, in some ways be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when you get named a bishop, there's a lot of things that you need to kind of start to <laughs> gather, and yes. uh, she was very helpful um, in, in offering encouragement and support in, in uh, you know, uh, my, like my uh, Episcopal ring my family purchased for me, and um, you know, she's the one who said, you know, don't just get something out of a catalog, you know, make something that's yours, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, it was a great blessing was to be able to share the news, and she was able to come back to Chicago and spend her last month uh, surrounded by the family here in the Chicago area. Was she living with your dad? Um, she was living with my dad, mm-hmm. and um, which, you know, at the time was a half a block away from, from where I was in the parish up there. That's right. And so, uh, you know, we were all able to be there with her. Um, and, uh, you know, she was very much a part uh, and present to, to us, to me uh, in particular, as we actually then celebrated uh, my ordination. Uh, in fact, I wore a, a cross that she gave me that is a great, great remembrance of her with me. Always, you know, so it, it, it has been, you know, I, I've, I've had to grieve the loss of my sister. I've also had to grieve the loss of, you know, what was familiar to me. Um, sure, the people love being, you in the parish. You know, being in, in a parish up in Chicago, uh, it, it wasn't just like moving as a pastor in Chicago from one parish to another. I was also moving from the diocese that has been my life, uh, you know, up until now. And so a lot of grieving has gone on. Um and and we'll continue because you know I think grief is a process; it doesn't yes. just simply go away. Uh, but also a lot of excitement and joy, and you know to feel the the presence of the Lord walking with me, to know that the Spirit is is uh, offering me the strength that I need to each day. Um, knowing uh, it's, I mean, it's really humbling uh, to receive so many well wishes and and cards and notes and emails of support and encouragement uh, from the priests of Chicago, my new diocese, you know, parishioners down in in this diocese of Peoria that I've never met uh, would write to just say they're praying for me and praying for my family. So despite the uh, emotional up and down, what's been constant is knowing that the Lord is there and knowing that, uh, you know, God's uh, great love for us is being shown in so many ways between you know, among so many people. People need to know that in your vocation, in mind, of course, it's from God who does a calling, but your life could have led you in a whole different direction. Sure. Go to Purdue, get your master's degree, get married, have a family, et cetera, et cetera. But the Lord was calling you. Uh, in your in your case, Lou, what was the calling like as a young man to stop Purdue and pursue priesthood? Well, you know, very quickly, at the end of my high school years at Marion, uh, a priest from my parish said, had you ever think, thought about being a priest? I'd been a server, I'd been around the church, I went to Catholic high school, grammar school, but I really had never considered that question. Once that question what was parish granted, was that, by the way? Uh, St. Joe's in Homewood. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the question kind of was put planted in, in my mind and my heart, um, what I realized is I needed help to discern that, you know, which is why I went to the college seminary. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think when I was able to switch, shift the question in my mind and heart from what do I want to do when I grow up <laughs> mm-hmm. to what does God want me to do, uh, then 
came the clarity. Then came the the, the ability to see that the Lord was moving me in this direction. Um, I, everyone has a vocation. Everybody has gifts and talents that the Lord has given uniquely to them, and they're to put them at service, uh, you know, of the world, of the Lord's cause. Uh, how we discern that and where we're called to do that is obviously going to be unique to each of us, but uh, I really believe that, that it comes in starting to ask the question, you know, as you get to know yourself, not, not what do I want to do, but what does God want me to do? Uh, and the more we're willing to engage in what God wants us to do, the better we're going to be, the happier we're going to be, and the greater impact in the world we're going to have. Congratulations to Bishop Lutilka as he takes on new challenges in Peoria. From Peoria to Belleville, that's where we'll travel next. We'll be back after a short break. It has been inspiring to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. There's nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad, or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, Call 312-948-6951 anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. And here's a reminder that you can also listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And all our radio programs are available on your favorite mobile streaming apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor, so please subscribe today. Before the break, we heard from the newly installed Bishop of Peoria, Lou Tilka. On Catholic Chicago This Week, Father Greg Sackowitz also talked with the newly installed Bishop of Belleville, Michael McGovern. Here's part of that conversation. Bishop McGovern, welcome to the program, and congratulations, Mike. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Father Greg. Great to hear your voice. How Great you to hear your voice. I'm doing very well, and uh, you know, I first want to say congratulations. I dropped you a note. I'm sure hundreds of people yes. dropped yes. you a note, and thousands, 
And uh, it's hard to believe that you were ordained, what, 1994? In 94. But now, if, if we back things up here, Bishop and Govern, and that is you went to high school where? St. Ignatius on Roosevelt Road, St. Ignatius College Prep. And from Ignatius you went to? Loyola University for four years. Because the thing is, when I was at that time at Niles College Seminary of Loyola, where Bishop Lutilka entered the college seminary in 1989, then you would have graduated from Loyola, what, in 89 or 90? No, I graduated in 86. So I worked for four years okay. after college, and then I went to Mundelein Seminary. All so right. I was almost 30 on ordination day as a priest. So, so you were a little later vocation. Okay, so four years Ignatius, four years Loyola, the working world four years, and then the enter right. the theologate. Correct. And, and, it, uh, and, and again, a question I asked uh, Lou, will ask of you then, Mike, is uh, here you are at Ignatius, you graduate, you're then off to Loyola University of Chicago, and then upon graduation, you know, you hit the work world. And what was within you that all of a sudden there was a movement of your heart from the secular world and then to enter into the seminary? How, that's, how, how what was your story? Well, I think, you know, there was always a tug on uh, my heart about becoming a priest. You know, when I was in high school at Ignatius, I used to um, arrive at school early and often would go to Mass before school began. The Jesuits had Mass in the chapel every day mm -hmm. before the school day began. And then I also became a lector at Christ the King Parish, where I grew up when I was in high school. So I would read on uh, Sundays. And then in college, uh, I actually began spiritual direction with a priest. At Loyola, I studied philosophy, so I think I had about 12 Jesuits as teachers, uh, including um, Mitch Pacwa. Father Pacwa would probably be oh, the best known sure. from his work. And uh, then I think it was when I was working, uh, 1990, if you remember, was when Cardinal Bernadine made the very difficult decision to close about 30 parishes, Quigley South and Quigley Correct. North were merged. Uh, it was a very tough time, and I remember I was working at First Chicago at, at a bank and thinking, you know, every person's decision has, has importance, and, you know, because of the shortage of priests, because of the shortage of resources, you know, you see parishes being closed, and it made me think about, you know, everyone's decision to say yes is important, and I had a feeling that God wanted me to be a priest, and so I think part of uh, the call at that particular moment was that sense of, of urgency when you saw the Church uh, mm -hmm. making these decisions to say, well, I'd like to step forward at this time, you know, and say yes to the Lord. So I uh, applied for the seminary. Uh, I was accepted that summer, and then I told the people at the bank that I was leaving. They probably thought and you then, were joking uh, at first. Well, I, I think it was... Uh, it kidding. helped that my, my boss's husband had been in theology at Mundelein. Well, he was in philosophy. No he didn't go on kidding. to theology. But, so they were very familiar uh, with uh, the seminary system, and, and you know, he had many classmates who did go on to become priests. I think they were the class of 70. Oh, sure. So he, um, he would have been extremely supportive. So, so I think that was uh, helpful. And then I made—really—I never looked back. I mean, I remember first theology was a good experience, because I had a degree in philosophy at that time, they allowed me right into first theology. I didn't have to do a pre-theo uh, program. You have to, you have and to so I was actually degree. ordained a priest four years later. 
You know, I find interesting, uh, Mike, and that is uh, when the closing of Quigley happened and all the parishes cl- were closed, I dealt with so much anger by people. Yeah. How can Cardinal Bernardine close my parish or close the seminary? And for you, it was the exact opposite. There was so much anger over the closings because people were like, leave my church alone, don't touch, don't rock the boat. You saw this sense of urgency in the exact opposite way as a way to deepen your call and enter the seminary, which I exactly. think is phenomenal. It, I find it just to be an incredible journey there where through the closings you said, I need to respond to this call with a shortage and be part of it. You've never looked back. When you were ordained in 94, what was your first assignment? I was a licentiate student at the seminary, so I was still continuing studies. So I was at Immaculate Conception in Highland Park for a year part-time, and then I went to Queen of the Universe on uh, the southwest side on 71st Street then. Uh, so that was my first full-time assignment. And I have to ask this question as I did of uh, Bishop Lutilka. Go back to the day you received the call from the papal nuncio. What was the date, and what what led up to it? Were you having a cup of coffee, and the phone rings. Tell us a story. Well, I, that's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I was uh, sitting in the parish office on Monday, March 23rd. It was 4 in the afternoon, and uh, my cell phone rang, and I was by myself because we shut the office down because of the COVID. So uh, it's a 202 exchange on the phone, and I thought it was a friend of mine who works in Washington, and uh, I answer the phone, and instead I hear this French accent, <laughs> and the man begins speaking, and uh, he introduces himself as Archbishop Christophe Pierre. He's the Apostolic Nuncio of the United States. And I'm, oh, you know, good afternoon, and we're chatting, and we talk a little bit about what's going on with the coronavirus. And then he says, um, are you alone? <laughs> and I said, yes, I can speak freely. And so then he said, the Holy Father is appointing you Bishop of Belleville. So I, I looked up at the crucifix on the wall of the <laughs> office, and I simply said, Archbishop, in love and obedience, I accept the Holy Father's nomination. Wow. And uh, with that, then he um, went on to say, you know, you cannot tell anyone about this. You can talk with Cardinal Supic. He knows what's happening. And then uh, he says he needed to call Bishop Braxton here in Belleville, who was the retiring bishop, to let him know uh, that this was happening and uh so it was the next morning, actually, that he called me back. The nuncio called me back and said he had connected with Bishop Braxton, and it was now okay to call him. And then we began to set um, a plan for when to announce that I had been appointed bishop. Now, what's interesting is that uh, Bishop Tilka received the call, he said, on May 4th. You're saying your call came on March 23rd. Right. I mean, like six weeks earlier before his phone call. And yet you were both... We're- Right, and I, I think it's it's interesting that uh, I, I presume the you know the congregation for bishops had their meeting the week before, and then right. uh, Cardinal Willet, the uh, prefect, meets with the Holy Father usually on Saturdays. So then they relay to the nuncio uh, that the decisions, and then he makes his calls. You know, I guess on Mondays. I don't know, but uh, that might have been the timeline. And then, but we we were stuck because we couldn't set a date for my ordination. Because, because of COVID. everything was shut down, right? Exactly. Now I have to ask this question: you, You've done a you did a fantastic job as a pastor at Saint uh, Raphael's up in uh, Antioch, because you got there back I think in two thousand and sixteen. Correct. 
And then here going along, it's now we're, st- we're starting COVID-19 back in March. So with everything shut down, all the procedures to close things down. And the phone call comes to you from the papal nuncio and on your cell phone. When he said the words, you're the Holy Father, you'd be the new bishop of, of Belleville, did your head kind of explode or go numb as you look at the crucifix like, is this really happening? It was, well, it was bit, surreal. Was yes, exactly. Surreal is a good word. Say, say more about it, that. It, it, well, it was, um, you know, because from the moment he identified himself, and I thought, well, he's he's not going to talk about the weather. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and you have this sense of um, what what is he going to say? Yeah. And... Uh, but I think it was the Holy Spirit in terms of being able to say yes right away. I mean, I did not feel that I had to wait and ask for time to think about it or pray about it, uh, but I was just able to hear what he said, um, responded right away, which I thought was a real grace. And then he he's very um, supportive, friendly on the phone. But then after you hang up, it's like you think from what now, did that just happen? <laughs> Uh, and so I went over to the church for half an hour and I, at Rayfields, and I, I prayed for half an hour. Then I went back to the house, and I called uh, Cardinal Supich, and uh, he very <laughs> kindly answered the phone and said, I thought you might be calling me. <laughs> and so I laughed. Uh, but he was very supportive, very helpful. Uh, and then uh, we worked together about making a plan uh, with Bishop Braxton for the announcement and sharing the news. But you're right, it, it is sort of a surreal moment where you're by yourself and um, thinking, you know, uh, what what is happening? And then afterwards you think, I mean, he could have said five other things in that conversation. I wouldn't have remembered any of it. No, exactly. And it's so overwhelming. It's just so over- Now, the very fact you were notified on March 23rd, it was not, you were not allowed to tell anyone except the Cardinal, of course, Cardinal Supich. It couldn't be made public until when? Well, that was the discussion with Bishop. We, we announced it on April 3rd. Okay, so here you are, 10 days. You couldn't even tell your family, could you? I, well, in the, I did get permission from Cardinal Sobich the night before the announcement to share it with my family. Okay. So in the evening of April 2nd, I called them to tell them. So talk about you had to actually keep this a secret in your heart for about 10 days. Or about a good right, day. but there was something freeing about that sort of cocoon that, that I knew this was going to happen, and I it gave me a, a week to just sort of absorb yeah. this is really happening, uh, because once the announcement's made, then it does sort of explode with people calling, texting, uh, writing. Uh, writing letters, writing notes, and uh, and even you know a couple of reporters call me the morning of the announcement at 7 a.m. I'm sitting at the desk at Rayfield's on wow. April 3rd, uh, I said Mass in the church at 4.30 in the morning because I thought once this thing's announced at 5 a.m. Uh, Central Time, you know, Roman noon, who knows what's going to happen. So I said Mass early, then I came back to the house, and then I sat at the desk, and uh, then the phone began to ring, and uh, it never stopped. I had the Belleville News Democrat and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch call me. It is. What does the church look like in Belleville? which has to be overwhelming in terms of the newness, you step in. What does the church look like down there? Well, the, the church is, is, is a, a wonderful community. It's also, I'd say, very diverse in the sense that 
Belleville takes in 28 counties of southern Illinois. We run from the Missouri side of the state to the Indiana side, and then Kentucky is the border to the south. How many square miles? Because so, Lou had uh, 17,000 oh, square miles. So Bishop Tilka has 17,000 almost, and you have 12,000. Mm-hmm. I was asking uh, uh, Lou before, what's the square miles in the Archdiocese of Chicago? Any idea? I, I, I don't know, just two counties. Yeah, just two counties. Was it 4,000 square miles? Two thousand? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just totally guessing, but you've got 12,000, so you're going to put a lot of miles on your car. Yes, in fact, the Bishop of Springfield, Cape Gerardo, Missouri, was at my ordination. He said he puts 52,000 miles on his car a year. Wow. That, that's, <laughs> so, a, that's a lot of drive. How many parishes? 106 churches. There's uh, Many places are grouped with neighboring churches to have a, kind of a shared pastoral care, but I think there's 106 churches. I think it's about 100 parishes, 26 grammar schools, three Catholic high schools that are administered by the diocese. Now, you go to the very extreme southern, southern tip of Illinois? Cairo. Cairo is our southern tip. That's just well, that's, much of the diocese is rural. It's, uh, I'd say, of the 28 counties, uh, many of them, uh, let's put it this way, the five counties that are in this side, the west side of the state, closest to St. Louis, Missouri, about 60% of the Catholic population lives in five counties. Mm. The, the other 40% lives in the 23 remaining counties. But we have two counties here, Pulaski and Pope, that have no Catholic institution in the whole county. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, which is shocking to me, but uh, if there was something years ago, it's been closed. So, uh, But it's also part of the, the state is so much farmland that there's not you know a high population. But... I think we have urban, rural, small town uh, spread out here in in the diocese. So there's kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, And um, in some aspects, I think Belleville is more southern than midwestern. Any closing words as the new bishop of Belleville? Well, I would say I I think of uh, Saturday being the Assumption of Mary and how Mary teaches us that God can do infinitely more with us when we say yes to God than if we say no. So I just want to encourage people, uh, say yes to God. I felt that's what I did when I accepted the appointment here to be Bishop of Belleville, and I encourage all of us to reflect on Mary's yes and how God calls us to say yes to. Our thanks to Bishop McGovern for joining us on Catholic Chicago. We close today's program with an important reminder during the current health crisis, a reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.